So we're grateful for that. We believe God has something very special for you this morning. And for all y'all here, we're so grateful for you. Jesus has something for you. Do you believe that? Right. So we're doing a series called Become. And it's about what are we supposed to be in a world that's trying to tell us what to be. And we've been walking our way through this series. And today we're going to use this Be Passionate. Be Passionate. And one of the things I understand, would if you, um, so just to give you some background in saying why, because I'm going to use a lot of Greek this morning, and so people are like, why do we use Greek? What's up with the Greek? Well, the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and approximately 150 years before Jesus came, it was translated into Greek, but a specific language of Greek called Koine Greek. And the reason that they translated Hebrew into Greek was because it was the language of the people. So probably the, well, the two most common languages today are English and Spanish, but English is pretty much the universal language. Uh, so like a lot of things are translated into English. Like back then, the Hebrew people were speaking more Greek than they actually were Hebrew. And so the Hebrews were trying to keep their people in the word of God. And so they did something called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The New Testament because Greek was the common language, was written in Greek. So Aramaic, a little bit of Aramaic, which was almost a hybrid language of the Hebrew at the time. So it's kind of like a, like a Creole that was Aramaic. And so they, some of the text was written in Aramaic and some of it was written in Greek. And I believe that Greek was actually a gift to the world because Greek is an incredibly specific language. It's very specific. There's, and even on this word passion, there's probably seven words that describe passion. There's four words in the Greek that describe love, right? So there's uh, three words that describe our, 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 our created makeup. Um, there's three words for life in the Bible as well. So Greek is a very specific language. And I believe God intended his word to be written in Greek primarily so that we could pull the meaning out of what he is trying to say. Oftentimes, called lost in translation, if you read your Bible, particularly in English, a lot of times it's not that the interpretation is wrong. It's just that the interpretation oftentimes isn't deep enough. And so you have to go into the original language and pull it out and and expand it a little bit in order to fully understand what God is saying. So you're going to get a lot of Greek this morning. That's all I'm basically telling you. I said all that to say this. Um, So one of the things the Bible teaches about, so they're going to talk about passion, what it means. Um, You were created to be alive. Did you know that? It's true. The Bible says that God created man and he breathed into man the breath of life. That word is ruach. It's the same word for his spirit. That's a Hebrew word, actually, not Greek. But he he breathed into man his spirit, the word ruach, and man became a living soul. So in the beginning, God created man, but he created man to live in him, to live from him, and to live towards him. The Bible says that mankind fell. And when mankind fell, when mankind separated from God, he did not die physically. Man did not die emotionally. But man did die spiritually. He became spiritually dead or spiritually alienated from the life that is found within God. Jesus came, so it tells us in John chapter 1 that Christ came, and it says, In him was life, and in him, and that life is the light of men, right? So the light of mankind is found in Christ. So Jesus came to give man an opportunity to receive back the God life that they had forsaken. That's why when you come to Jesus, many of you know that, it's called the born-again experience. You come to Jesus, and boom, it's like life just came into you. 
It's like all of a sudden everything's different. You see the world differently. You, your perspective changes. So what, anybody know what I'm talking about when you get born again? Right? So to be born again is not when you come to Christ to be saved. It's not to be saved in your mind. You, there are people in this world that are intellectually convinced, but their spirit is not converted. You don't believe Jesus in your mind. That's why the Bible tells us in James, you believe. Good for you. The demons believe. Right? It's not an issue of belief from the context of this Greek word gnosis or knowing. It's belief from the heart. It's a surrendered out. It's something that happens from the heart. So it's not an issue of the mind. It's an issue of the heart. The way we receive the life that God intends for us to have or the restoration of that life is when we give our hearts to Jesus. And the Bible says he comes into us. That's the testimony of the Christian. That's what means. That's the, when people say, well, how do you know Jesus is who he says he is? Because he lives in you. That you don't understand that. You don't have to be able to quote a verse from 66 books in the Bible to be able to testify that Christ is real. Because he lives in you, right? And Christ lives in me. That's why I know he's true. That's why I know it's real. It's not something external. It's something that's internal. So you're created to be alive. And the life that God gives can only be found in Jesus. So let me give you the words here. There's three types of life in the Bible. There's the first word, bios. And you guys are already ahead of me on this one. It's where we get the word biology from. Bios is physical life. So the Bible talks about physical life. There's the life of the soul, which is called psyche, right? So there's life within the soul. It's where we get the word psyche. It's where we get the word psychic from. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you have a body. You also have a soul. You have a mind. You have a will. And you have emotions. That makes us all equal, what doesn't make us equal is the life within the spirit. So there's, I'll give you the word. So as you have the soma, which is the physical body. You have the life within the physical body, which is the bios. You have the suke, which is the soul. You have the sike, which is the life within the soul. Then you have the pneuma, which is your spirit. And you have zoe, which is God life within the spirit. So while every person has a pneuma, not every person has zoe or the God life within their spirit. You get that? You see how specific this is? It gets really specific. There's no, no debate here as to what this means. And so we all have a spirit, and your spirit is what makes you who you are. So I can have a mind, I can have a body, I can have a will, I can have emotions. We're all equal. But what makes me me, what makes me unique and distinct is the spirit that God has allowed me to be born with. What makes my spirit come into full capacity is when the life of God comes into my spirit. Then my spirit comes into full capacity. You understand that? The greatest maximize, it's not just, yes, you're saved. Yes, you're born again. I don't want to be, I don't want anybody getting confused out there. You know, I'm going to hear somebody saying, well, what are you trying to say? We got to repent. We got to be born again. Duh. I know that. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about though here. It's an inevitable. I'm going to get somebody who's going to send me a message and go, well, pastor, you see, it's not, it's about repent. I'm talking about becoming alive in the spirit. I'm talking about what happens when you are born again. I'm talking about what happens when your sins are forgiven. Your sins are removed from you when you give your life to Christ. And because your sins are removed, God, the holy God can now come into you. He can't come into you because of the sin. So the sin has to be dealt with. Well, good news. He's already dealt with it. So God's going to say, I've paid your debt for you. I've paid the debt for you. And not only am I going to pay the debt for you, I'm buying you back. When you give your life to Jesus, this is what the word redemption means. It means to buy back. So when God says he's redeemed you, you have to let him buy you back. That's the idea. 
So when Jesus redeems me, I let him purchase me. I give in to the purchase price that he's offered for me. And it's himself. He doesn't just purchase you and hold you as a token. He, he, he purchases you and comes to live inside of you and makes you alive. This is the essence of the Christian faith. This is what it's all about. The, the, the essence of the Christian faith, yes, doctrine's important. Yes, disciplines are important. But the purpose of the Christian faith is to make man back alive. And to restore him into that life relationship in the spirit. We worship God in the spirit. So that's the idea. So you have the Soma, the Suke, the Numa. You have the Bios, the Sike, and the Zoe. The life of that Zoe can only be received through Jesus. People don't have that Zoe anywhere else. And this is where passion comes from. This is where enthusiasm comes from. I'm going to show you. So you create, everybody's created. So we come, become born again. We get the life of Christ within us. But people, no matter where you are, you're created with a drive Everybody in this world has a drive. You're driven towards something or someone or it could be people, could be places, could be things. And this drive that you're created with will, will affect every area of your life if you embrace it or if you refine it. Or it will affect every area of your life if you deny it. And the drive that everybody's created with is this understanding of passion. It's what you care about that drives your life, Right? Or what you choose to care about that drives your life. And there's a lot of words for passion. A lot of words in the Greek for passion. I chose what I thought was the three most important. The first one is this is, this is the most dominant. I want you to say with me. You're going to speak Greek this morning. Everyone want to speak some Greek? Yeah. Lay it on me. Yeah, I got one person. We're going to lay it on me. It's real easy. Say it. Pathomia. Yeah, pathomia. And what it means is a strong drive to obtain a positive goal. We can all identify with that. Every one of us has an inbuilt drive. We have a strong drive to obtain a positive goal. But this word pathomia means that your drive is so great, it doesn't matter how much you have to endure. You will pursue it. You will have pain. You will go through pain in order to achieve a positive end. That's, that's the suffering of Jesus. We call it the what? The passion of the Christ. For the, for, the, uh, for the joy that was set before him, he what? Endured the cross, despising the shame. Pathomia. He went through the pain to obtain that goal. He went through the pain to obtain that positive end. You see it with children, right? Right? Here, let's just play kids games, right? You, kids have a pathomia. They, their, their, their drive and their passion to play is greater than their desire for pain. I'm serious. You ever watch your kids play? They fall down, they skin their knee, you know, oh, and then 20, 20 seconds later, they're right back up and playing, right? You ever watch them? So their drive to play is their passion to play or to be alive in that way is greater than the pain that they're experiencing. You may not know if you guys ever watch this, right? You can see it with kids even when they're playing sports. Kid's got a broken ankle and he won't come off the field. I'm not coming off. Dude, your ankle's broke. I know. I still got one good leg. I can still do something. You watch your children play, right? And you come off the field and they're crying and you put a bag of peas on their little scrape and then all of a sudden they're up and back at it in, you know, in 10 minutes, not even. Doesn't matter how much pain. So we have a pathomia. We have a strong drive to obtain a positive result. This drive is the, this is the one that you are willing to suffer pain to obtain. You are willing to go through things to obtain that goal. And it doesn't matter what you have to go through. That goal becomes eminent in your life. It's like where we get the word pathology from. You are driven towards something. Next one is the, I like this word. It's a little hard to say. You're going to say it with me, right? 
So you guys, so it's okay. You can laugh at me because I'm going to be laughing at you when you say it too. So it's all right. We're in this together. Say it. Homothumadon. Homothumadon. There we go. Right? And this is a drive for agreement. So we have a drive where we can all be in unison. We can all be in harmony. This is where the Bible talks about they were all in one accord or they were all in unison or with one voice. They lifted up their, their, um, their, their voices to God with one voice. It's, this dry, it's actually the Greeks, the ancient writers, that's another way you understand what this word means. As you look at how they used it, it was always used in musical terms. So when the band is in harmony, right? When the music is in harmony, it's homothumadon. So it, it's right. So the band's going to be using that word. Say, hey, listen, guys, we just need a little homothumadon around here. That's what we need. We need a little bit more harmony. It's this drive for us to be in unison. It's this drive for us to be in, encouraged by one another. This mutual encouragement. One mind, one heart. So that's a passion. All of you have a passion to be in unity with something. To be in agreement with something, right? We, we tend to move away from things that are not reflective of our views or our thing. And this is actually the passion that we are supposed to have as Christians is endeavor to keep the unity of the faith. We are to have a passion to be unified. We are to have a drive to be of one mind and one heart. No matter what the outside world or whatever the influences are dictating to us, our mind and our heart is to reflect what Jesus wants. No matter what the personal cost is. But I don't like it. It doesn't matter if you like it. He's not asking you if you like it. He's telling you to come into unity. He's telling you to be of one mind and of one heart. That's what he's telling us. And we're supposed to have a passion for that. We're supposed to want to sacrifice ourselves in order to maintain unity. Yeah, that needs to be preached in America. We're supposed to sacrifice ourselves. Anytime you use the word self-sacrifice, you know, it's like Americans, we don't hear that. What? You you mean it's going to cost me something? Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) We're supposed to sacrifice ourselves. The next one is polythemos. This polythemos, thank you. Say it with me, polythemos. This is another word for passion. And it means to be alert, alive, and ready. Right? So we're to be passionate. We're to have a goal that we're willing to sacrifice for, that we're willing to endure, that will drive our lives. We're to have this, and around this goal, we're to have a passion to have unity together. And then polythemos means we're supposed to be aware or alert or looking for it, or we're supposed to prepare ourselves in relationship to that goal. Make sense? So what the Bible is telling us to do. This verse is used when um, God is actually commanding his pastors to lead the people. He tells them in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Don't lead them grudgingly, but lead them with polythemos. You know? And it says, lead them with um, eagerness. That's the word it uses. And so, but this word eagerness is this Greek word polythemos. In other words, be alert, be rare, be ready. Right? Don't, don't be grudging. Like, if you're going to lead the people of God, be ready. Right? Can we be ready? Can, can pastors be ready? Can we, like, offer something? That's, that's actually a command that, he, that that word is used in direct relationship to what God expects from his leaders. To be ready. To be alert. To be alive. To see things that other people can't see. To understand what's going on. To discern when other people cannot discern. It's like the shepherd. The, the, like, if you ever watch sheep, the wolf will walk right into the sheep's... <laughs> The sheep are just kind of like, huh, what? Oh, yeah, well, that's a weird-looking sheep. I don't know, I've never seen him around here. Hey, what's your name? Harry? Oh, hey, Harry. I'm Pete. This is my wife, Sarah. This is my kids over here. The wolf will walk right into a sheep, and the, and the sheep know nothing about it. But if the shepherd sees the sheep, what happens? He's alert, aware, polythemos. He understands what's going on. 
So that's what God is expecting from church leaders, from church ministries. He's expecting that there be an alertness and awareness and a readiness upon his, the, the people who claim to lead his house. That, because for the most part, people don't get it. You know, stuff comes into the church and we just go, oh, well, I just think it's love. It's just love. It's all loving. It's all Jesus. And the pastor's supposed to go, uh, no, this isn't all. This is not Jesus. This is not sound doctrine. This is not sound teaching. This is not the Lord's ways. But it feels right to me. So when the wolf's walking among the sheep, the sheep are all like, hey, we like this guy. Why does the shepherd keep wanting to throw him out? I don't know, man. I think he's a cool dude. Don't you? Yeah. We welcome wolves into our midst. We welcome, that's what the Bible says. It actually says, when I leave, wolves will come in among you. Ravenous wolves who will spy the people out and consume them as merchandise. Interesting. Peter actually says that. And so when he's talking about polythemos, it's interesting that he tells the pastors have polythemos because he says the wolves will come in among the people. And wolves are not just people. Wolves are teachings. Wolves are doctrines, destructive heresies, destructive doctrines that proclaim Christ is not Lord or that proclaim everybody's saved. It's a universal gospel. I'm going to tell you now that is a destructive heresy. Unless a man is born again, he will not, cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nobody's saved unless they give their life to Christ. That's a destructive heresy. God loves everybody. Yeah, he loves them so much that he calls them to repentance. He calls them to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow. That's how much God loves them. He loves them enough to tell them the truth, that you're lost and you're hopeless and helpless without Jesus. That's how much he loves them. It's a destructive heresy when the church embraces this stuff. It's, it's destructive. It's a wolf. If I or an angel of light preach to you any other gospel other than what you heard, let them be accursed, Paul said. Make no mistake. This gospel is what it is. Christ crucified. Resurrected. Repentance is the essence of the kingdom. It's the beginning of the kingdom. So then he uses this word polytheomos. He says, be alert, be alive, be ready. And then, so this is what passion looks like. And then he uses this word. The Bible uses this other word called entheos. And if you can connect the words, you already get where we get it from. We get the word enthusiasm from entheos. And what it means is God within. This word is heavily related to joy. So in theos, so when you have enthusiasm, you're excited about something. But in theos means you're excited because of the life of God within you. So it's telling us to have in theos. So our life is to be driven by passion and our life is to be driven by something from within that relates to God. So all of our drives in our life are to be related as from the source of God within us. That God is driving us towards something that is goal related. And that drive, that in theos is to have pathame, homothumadon and polythemos attached to it. So the drive from God in your life is to have something in your life that you're willing to sacrifice for. Is to have something in your life that you're willing to come in agreement with. And to have something in your life that you're willing to get ready for. That's what it looks like. So our goals and our agreements and our readiness and our awareness are to be aligned with God from in themos. We're to have in theos in our marriage. We're to have in theos in our, fa- in our finances. We're to have in theos in all of our... Anything that we do is to be born in God. First Corinthians, be thankful. Ready? Be thankful. <laughs> Everybody say, I'm thankful. thankful. Because he gives me victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're eternal beings, man. You're going to live forever. If you're in Christ, happy day. Good news. Good news. 
Doesn't matter how bad it is. It's going to get a lot better. Doesn't matter. If you die, you win. (laughs) We have victory. We have eternal life. We will live forever. Not suffer forever. Live forever. That word again is life. God will give you Zoe life forever. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Be immovable. Work for the Lord with entheos, enthusiasm. For you do not... for. For you know that nothing you do with the Lord is ever useless. So get excited. Get happy. Because whatever you do, do it with the Lord. And know this. Have confidence that everything you do with the Lord or in the Lord is not useless. The devil wants to tell you it's useless. It's wasted. Judas. That's a Judas voice. That's a Judas spirit. You give to the Lord. You sacrifice to the Lord. You serve the Lord. And he says the Lord doesn't see. You're using it. You're you wasting it. That's a Judas that's talking to you. Jesus isn't selling you that. So our goals and our life's perspective is always to be centered in and through Jesus, in theos, and is to be driven with passion. You say, why is it necessary? This is necessary for the believer because the world is a very unstable place. Can I get a witness? This is necessary because the world is a very unstable place. You have people that are trying to move you. You have circumstances that are trying to move you. And you know what's worse of all? I find what's harder for me than anything else is my own emotions that try to move me. The biggest fight I fight is not with people, not with circumstances, but with my own emotions. The overtaking and the drive within me that I know it's my emotions are just pulling on me. And I'm always trying to get in line with Jesus. (laughs) This is not faith. (laughs) I'm trying to push my emotions into the place where I need them to go. And so we need to understand that our motives are in God, that we're driven by God, and our passions need to be associated with that. Because if we don't know, so if you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's driving you, you don't know what your motives are, or why you're doing what you're doing, the world will influence you in some very dark ways. And you'll end up in some some crazy places. Because the world will drift. It's just all of these pullings and these driving points within our lives that are trying to move us off the mark. Jesus is trying to put us on the mark. And all of, everything around us is trying to move us off the mark. Anybody know what I'm trying to say? Right? You, you make a point, you're going to go and follow God, or you get a vision from God, you're something somewhere somehow comes around you, circumstances start happening, and then your own emotions start happening. And all the doubt starts feeding into your head. You're not good enough. You're not going to make it. This isn't going to work. This is going to fail. You know? Who told you that? (laughs) Somebody made a meme of me and put it on Facebook. I had somebody send me a message. And I'm standing there and I'm going like this. And he put, who told you that underneath the the, the meme? And I had somebody going, why is he saying that? Why is he saying who told you that? You know, I'm I'm like, it's an inside joke. It's, it's. (laughs) People, emotions, and circumstances try to make you move. So we got to know what God is saying to us. In theos, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, what am I doing? Whatever I'm doing. You say, what do you have, Kevin? Then do it in me. What do you have? I have a job. Well, then do it in me. I have a family. Well, then do it in me. I have this. Then do it in me. I have a gift. Then do it in me. I have a talent. Then do it in me. In theos. And drive that gift, that talent to its maximum point in Christ, no matter what it costs you. Find other people around you that think the same way. Right? We have to gather people around us that are on the same journey and going in the same direction. You cannot yoke an ox with an ass, the Bible says. <laughs> My wife says, you just like quoting that because you want to say ass in church. And she's going to be watching me right now. She's going to be going, he did it again. He did it again. 
I'm like, it's in the Bible. What am I talking about? It's there. God told his people, do not, do not be yoked. You're an ox. You are useful. You are workful. You are a driven being. You are a, a being that is under my yoke. But the ass, i.e. the donkey, um, doesn't, uh, doesn't want to go the way that the ox does. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God commands them, do not yoke an ox with an ass. Don't do it. Because if you yoke yourself with someone pulling in the wrong direction, you're not going to get anything done. That donkey's going to want to sit down when you want to plow the field. You're going to want to go left or go to the direction that God is telling you, and that donkey's going to want to go the other way. So we got to be careful. So when we gather people around us, we have to have a unified heart and a unified spirit. One of the things that that does, that type of passion, that drive to have a unified mind, people go, well, I need a broad perspective. Do you? Do you? I don't have a broad perspective if we're all in a learning environment, but I find the broader my perspective, the more people I put around me that have a broad perspective, the more they're trying to influence me in their direction. I, I don't need it. The only one I want influencing me is the Holy Spirit. That's just the bottom line, you know? I'm aware of a lot of things, but no matter what I'm aware of, I'm not going that way. I'm going his way, period. I just, I'm not going to do it. I won't be dissuaded. I will listen to what the Lord tells me. I will do what the Lord tells me. And if you don't like me, then I don't, you know, and I have a lot of people that don't like me because I'm, you know, my friends, it's like my friend circle got a lot smaller because people don't always agree with me. Pastors don't always agree with me. I don't always agree with them. There's perspectives that we don't have that are equal. doesn't mean I don't love you. But I'm, you know, it doesn't mean we're not brothers and sisters. We may be brothers and sisters, but I'm not coming under that yoke. I'm not doing those things. I'm going this way. And there's a lot of times that's what you have to do. You have to put people around you that the Bible uses this word mutual encouragement. People around you that can mutually encourage you in the direction you're going. Some of you, you've been through what? 12 step programs or whatever. The whole design of the 12 step program, the guy who started the 12 step program. Is it 12 steps? Is it 10 steps? It's 12 steps. Okay. The whole guy that designed it was for mutual encouragement. It was a peer environment where they could mutually encourage one another along the way. The guy who founded it was a believer, friend of Bill. I know that statement, but I don't know who Bill was, but I heard this. I've heard it many times. Are you a friend of Bill? That's how they, that's how they identify. But they mutually encourage one another. They join themselves together to encourage one another to, to succeed. They help to pull them away. If you're around negative influences, what's going to happen? Yeah, come on. Yeah, you already know. We don't even have to go there. Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So don't stop kidding yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. doesn't matter how good you are. Oh, I'm going to go and help this person. It's not going to work, man. It's not going to work. I tell people, you can't go where they are. They need to come where you are. There is a believer. Listen, you've crossed the great divide. And it's like, we're in this world, but we are not of it. And there are places I cannot go. You know, and when I mean places, I'm not necessarily talking about physical places. I'm talking about places in my mind, places in my heart, ideas, ideologies. I cannot embrace them. They have to come where I am, right? So that's a big thing. So we have to people, so we're supposed to have in theos. And so this enthusiasm, this drive for God is what makes all the difference. Acts 20, 24, you're going to see passion at its fullest. You want to talk about a dude that God used to exemplify passion? It was Paul. I beat Paul up a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to try to bless Paul this morning. You get to heaven, he's going to be, yeah, I know you, dude. Yeah, you're the guy that talked about me. Anyway, we all got issues, Paul. 
Me too. I talked about mine more than I talked about yours, so don't worry about it. We're all good. But Paul was a very driven guy. He's a very passionate guy. He loved Jesus, and he was all in. He gave everything up. He's standing here at the end of his life. I love this verse. It's one of my huge things I'd always try to bring myself back to. Acts 20, 24, he says, none of these things move me. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what goes on around me, nothing is going to move me because I do not count my life dear to myself. Paul is saying, this is high-level Christianity I'm about to bring you into. Paul is saying, my life has been purchased. My life doesn't belong to me. I don't count my life as dear anymore. Here's my goal. My passion, my drive, my entheos is to finish the course, the thing that God has set before me with joy. There's the word entheos. Joy and and, uh, enthusiasm are very, I'm going to do this with inspired life from God. And the ministry which I have received from the Lord and to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the, the grace of God. So the drive of Paul's life, he said, nothing moves me. I have one single solitary goal. Everything else is irrelevant. I have one passionate drive for my life. Everything else is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And if you read this dude's life, he had a lot of problems. He had a lot of problems. He said, well, even it says, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. I've had it and I don't have it. I've been riding high and I've been swinging low. (laughs) And he said, it doesn't matter to me. I have learned that just to just keep driving forward. And there's, I just feeling somebody's encouragement. You know, your only way is forward. It's the only way. Which way is time moving? Right. Life is only moving in one direction. Life doesn't stop. And so you have to move forward. No matter what happens, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you did, you got to get up and go forward. Go forward. So the purpose of our lives. So here's the deal. We need to have a passion. So we have an entheos. So what, what should be the driving point? In God, what should it be? The driving point looks like this. You are called, if you're a believer, you're called to build the kingdom. You're called to build the kingdom. You're called. The kingdom of God. Jesus is about his father's business. And his father's business is to expand the king's dominion. The rulership and the reign of God. What does that mean? Your support, participate in the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the king's dominion. It's not a gospel of salvation. Salvation is the only, the beginning point of the gospel. Jesus, the most commonly referred to name for the gospel is not the, in fact, the gospel of, it's only one time and it says the gospel of your salvation. It's only mentioned once. The dominant name for the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the king's dominion. The ruling, reigning authority of Christ in every sphere. That's what we're supposed to live for. Where does it begin? It begins with the king's dominion within your heart. That's the first place I need the king's dominion. I need Jesus to rule me and not me ruling myself. I need the dominion of God to come into me. So when I receive Christ, the king's dominion comes into my heart. Only my heart. This is what discipleship looks like, Christian. You're in the king's dominion is in your heart. But is the king's dominion in your time? Is the king's dominion in your talent? Is the king's dominion in your treasure? Is the king's dominion in your body? Does Jesus, do you, do you operate in those ways as the Lord would rule you? In the United States, and I'm an American, so I can speak about this, we rule our time. Well, we got Jesus, but don't you tell me what to do with my time. I'll come if I want. I'll serve if I want. If I feel like it, if I don't, he doesn't rule you. Wake up. You rule you. 
And the gospel of the kingdom means he has dominion in every area of your life. You don't do it because you want to. You do it because he says so. You give not because you want to. You give not because you feel like it. You give because he says so. You serve not because you want to. You serve not because you feel like it. You serve because he says so. That's called, preach it. (laughs) That's the king's dominion. That's not the American gospel. We have the gospel of America, which doesn't look anything like that. And then we have the gospel of the king's dominion, which is the gospel that he wants proclaimed. When he says Jesus is coming, can we get a witness? Right? And what does he say? When did he say, does he say that he's going to come? He says, this gospel of the what? Kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world. And then the earth shall come. Right? It's not the gospel. It's the gospel of the king's dominion. So there's a difference. It's not the gospel of salvation that is to be proclaimed in all the earth. It's the gospel of the king's dominion. The ruling, reigning, inbreaking power of Christ into every sphere of life. It, it begins with salvation. That's where it begins. Okay? It's just so I'm clear. <laughs> well, the gospel is salvation, Kevin. I mean, I just got to like, answer the questions that I inevitably know I'm going to get. So hopefully you're listening. So the purpose of our lives is to build the kingdom, to participate in this gospel. We're to do it. Whatever you do, you're supposed to be a part of this. The kingdom, the rule, the Lord needs to rule your business, people. The dominion of God should be in your business. The dominion of God should be in your, your work habits. The dominion of God should be in your marriage. The dominion of God should be with your children. The dominion of God should be in your money. All of these spheres need to be under the king's dominion. That's what it means to be a believer. Is under the king's dominion. It doesn't mean you're perfect. I say this, and I like to, this, this is a good one. <laughs> say it with me. Discipleship is not about perfection. It's about direction. It has nothing to do with perfection. You're already perfect in God's eyes. Your habits don't reflect that. Your attitude doesn't reflect that. So God's not looking to you to demonstrate some level of perfection to him. Because in his eyes, you're already perfect. You're complete. It's about direction. Are you, is your life consistently moving in my direction? Is the areas of your life consistently moving where I want them to go? That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for you to be perfect. That's what grace is for. People go, well, if you preach grace too much, Kevin, it's a license for people to sin. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. You know? It's like, well, I can do this because God forgives me. Man, dude, really? That's, that's where you're going to go with that? That's not what he's saying at all. So we're supposed to participate in the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. And we're supposed to bring Jesus glory. Lord, glory. This is what our purpose is. This is what we should be enthusiastic about. This is what we should be passionate about. Bringing Jesus glory. What does that mean? It means weight. Substance. Everything we do should be to bring weight to Jesus in his name. To bring honor to Jesus in his name. Whether the world sees or whether the world doesn't see. Jesus sees. One of his names is El Roy. And it means the God who sees. (laughs) The Bible says there is nothing hidden from him. Nothing. He, he, He sees everything. So even if the world doesn't see, God sees. Even if the people misunderstand your motives, God understands. He sees. It says Jesus is the head of the body, the church. That means he's in charge. Not just of the institutional church, but of the church collective. He's in charge. King's dominion. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the one. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he may have the preeminence. In everything. 
Jesus is first and first place in everything. Everything. That in all things, he may be the preeminent one. All things in our life. This is how we mirror to the world who he is. Why do you guys serve a God and put him first in everything? Because he lives in me. Because he loves me. Because he cares for me. Because he's worth it. Because he's worthy. All things, he's to have the preeminence. And you're to create the common good. So what does it look like? It looks like your, your purpose, your enthusiasm, your passion is to be driven, is to be Jesus-centered. It's all about Jesus. What are you guys, Jesus freaks? Yep. 100%. I am president of the local chapter of Jesus freaks. So if you're in Miami, you can come and be part of the local chapter here at Elevate of Jesus freaks. And I am happy to say that I am president of the local chapter of Jesus freaks. I am a 110%, 10,000 times 10,000, a Jesus freak. Mark me down, right? (laughs) We're Jesus freaks, straight up. (laughs) So you got to discover your goals. What is it? Whatever you're doing, this is what the Bible says. It says this, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. So what do I do? Whatever you do, cut the grass, do it for God's glory, you know? Whatever it is you're doing, do it to bring weight to his life. Begin to believe God for something more. In theos, get enthusiastic about it. Pathame, be driven towards that goal. Believe that God has something for you. Let him show you what he has for you and be driven. I am going to follow Jesus if it kills me. Hypomeno, that's my word of the year for me, man. Move under pain. <laughs> I'm like, oh God. Move under pain, Kevin. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Pathame, do some, something deserving. Hamathudamon, get some people around you. Find the goals. Get some people around you that are like-minded, that encourages you. Feed yourself with people that will encourage you. Yes. Learn from people who have gone this way before, who have gone before you. Polythemos, get ready. Start looking and be in expectation. Get yourself ready. I'm passionate. I want to be, be a school principal. Yeah, but you only have your bachelor's and you're probably going to need your PhD to do that. So listen, get ready. How passionate are you to do that? Are you driven towards that? And to what where you make your sacrifices? And so how do you stay on track? So this is it. So you learn the goals, you get enthusiastic, you have passion, you have a drive for it. And then how do you stay on the, on the course? I'm going to tell you how to stay on the course. It's so easy for us to lose the course, right? We lose the script. We're like, what, where am I? What am I doing? And then things don't go our way. And our inevitability, what drives our heart is we want to quit. We want to quit. People say you're a pastor. You ever want to quit? I always tell them every Monday morning. Every Monday morning, man. True. You're like, what did I say? What did I do? Oh, God. What, you know, everybody wants to quit. It, it's, it, you know, that's just common to men. But God commands us to not quit. And the way that we don't quit is we begin to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above everything. Above everything, guard your heart. For it determines the course of your life. Another translation says, all of the issues of life come from your heart. Your heart has gates. You have an eye gate and you have an ear gate. And you have to set a watch over your gates, guys. What you take in is what comes out. Your heart is a field, right? So when we sow good things in our heart, the field produces good things. When you sow negative things in your heart, it produces negative things. You ever watch something negative or listen to something negative? It's like you can't get it out of your head. You're like, ah. 
You have to guard your heart. You have to, if something is not hopeful, something is not life-giving, something is not inspired or edifying, building me up, I don't listen to it. I don't listen to it. I shut it off. I tune out the noise. I don't care what's going on. And people are like, don't you care about what's going on in the world? I'm like, I care about what's going on in his world. If you really want the truth. Yes, his world into my world. So this world, purpose of this world is for me to find what my father wants from his world and to bring it into this world. It doesn't matter what people want. It matters what he wants. That's the only thing that matters. What are you saying, Lord? What are you doing? What do you want? Your will be done. What? On earth as in heaven. Not man's will. God's will. And so I feed myself on things that draw me from that world. And if something is taking me out of that world or bringing me into hopelessness, I get rid of it. I can't listen to it. What do I do? I pray. If the burden's on my heart, I pray. I pray. I pray until I can't pray anymore. (laughs) Say, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to groan? You know how to groan? The Bible says groaning. The spirit groans. Oh, God. Oh, God. He takes that as prayer. Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings. <laughs> even, if you don't have, even if you don't have words. You say, I'm not eloquent in prayer. Can you groan? Can you groan? Just go in your room and groan. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's a prayer. Anybody can pray. You know why? Because we can all groan. <laughs> Anybody can pray. So I don't know how to pray. Start there. Start groaning. Start groaning. Lord, what's your, then he starts going to start talking to you. What's my pain? Oh, God, the pain of my heart is too big. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, Lord, lead, show me. That's okay. It's a groaning. So if that's where you're at, start there. We all have groanings. I don't care how prolific you are in prayer. I don't care what a prayer warrior you think you are. You're going to groan some point in your life. You're going to suffer an inevitable loss. You're going to suffer an inevitable pain. Something's going to happen to you where you feel like the very life itself has been taken out of you. And you're going to feel it. Every single person. That's common to us all. It will happen. I don't want it to happen. The Lord doesn't want it to happen. But it's the way of this world. It's not the way of his world. It's the way of this world. And I want to say good news. This world's passing away. And he will dry your tears. And there will be no more pain. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more sorrow. that sound good? I don't know about you. That sounds like the one I want. When will that happen? That's his world. Remove the things from your gates that are not hopeful. Remove the things from your eyes and your ears that are not inspiring or life-giving. That includes people. That includes places. And that includes things. Sometimes it's toxic influences, man, from people, places, and things. But they're my friends. Are they really? Are they really? If they're creating toxins, are they really your friend? If it's a negative environment all the time, is there, are they really your friend? If they're trying to pull you away from the, the course that God has set before you, are they really your friend? Second thing is set your eyes on Jesus and not the circumstances. This is a story God's been kind of, it's been in my heart like for a while now, but just definitely the last few days. It's like the battle. That, so we have a guy in, in um, the book of Chronicles. His name's he's actually in Kings and he's in Chronicles. So the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles is the chronicles of the kings. So the kings of Judah and the kings of Samaria. So the book of Chronicles chronicles the dealings of these kings. And the book of First and Second Kings does it more. So chronicles, they're, they're mirrored books. First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles are mirrors of one another. Some of them have different details in them, but, they, but they're mirrors of the same thing. There's a guy in the book of, uh, he's in both. He's in Kings and he's in Chronicles. His name's Hezekiah. 
And so the Bible puts him up as, the, as, a, as a very noble king. It says there was never a king like him before, and there was never a king like him after. And so this guy is very esteemed. And Jesus says there was nobody like him before, and there was nobody like him afterwards. Well, he deserves some attention. Hezekiah was a guy who brought a lot of reformation into, into Israel. Israel was gone away and was serving idols and was doing all of these things. And it was only Jesus on Saturday. And then God didn't want anything to do. And they didn't want anything to do with God on, on Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Or yeah, Monday through Friday. So they didn't want anything to do with God. So they were worshiping idols. They're all going their own way. God was trying to call his people back to himself. They were suffering a lot of losses. And so Jeremiah starts implementing all of these reforms. And in the midst of implementing his reforms and in the midst of trying to bring the church, his people, the Israel back to spirituality, what happens? Anytime you step out in faith, anybody know what happens? Anybody? You become a threat to the devil and you immediately face confrontation. If you don't step out in faith, you're no threat. Yeah. That's why I say that most American Christians don't even believe in the devil anymore. They never even talk about him because they're not doing anything. I can assure you, if you're doing something and you're trying to advance the kingdom or advance the purposes of God in your life, you're well acquainted with the devil. You're well acquainted with spiritual forces that are opposing you because he doesn't oppose people. He opposes the kingdom. He doesn't oppose Jesus. He opposes the anointing. He's not anti-Christ. He's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. He, he, the kingdom suffers violence. The advancement of the dominion of God is what he violently opposes. That's why it's the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom suffers violence. The advancing of the dominion of the, God, of the king is what he is opposing because it's a threat. You can't win. You just got to know who you are and what you are. You got to know how to do it. And so here's this guy, Hezekiah. He's bringing everybody into, he's bringing the nation into spiritual reform, bringing the nation into revival. And along comes this army, this Assyrian army, led by a guy named Sennacherib. And so Sennacherib comes in and he is laying waste to all of the land. And watch. So you guys can identify with Jeremiah or Hezekiah, right? So you can identify with this guy. Sennacherib is going to march on Jerusalem. And so the first thing Hezekiah tries to do is buy him off. Right? Oh, that's what a move of faith, right? What a man of faith. Hezekiah's faith just came right to the surface. The first thing he does is he's like, here, take some money. Please go away. You cannot make a covenant with an Assyrian. Right? The devil's an Assyrian. And it, when, you, when, he would cap, when these Assyrians would capture cities and towns, they would mutilate the people that they captured. They would send fear and terror into all lands that you will submit to us or we will destroy you. They would cut the nose off of the faces of people. They would cut their ears off. They would take a, a ring clamp, clamp it through their jaw, and they would lead them about by a chain through the, through the, through the tissue of the neck and underneath the tongue. And the Lord says... I will put a hook in your jaw because that's what he said. I'm going to put a hook in all of your jaws. I'm going to cut your noses off. I'm going to destroy all of you. And you just look around. This is what they, that's what they were doing. They actually were the ones who, that's where crucifixion came from was the Assyrians. They were the first impalers. They began to impale people outside the city gates. There's actually a relief of when, when Sennacherib was attacking a Jewish city, which he did conquer this one, Lachish. When he was conquering Lachish, the stone relief shows all of these impaled soldiers out in front of the city. He would impale the captives to put fear and terror like you. Anybody, does that sound like the devil? He's going to put fear and terror on you and get, tell you to surrender to him. Right? So Jer- uh, Hezekiah tries to buy him off. Here, take some money. Go away. Sennacherib goes, thanks for the money. We're coming anyway. 
Then there's this other spirit that I'm sure if once I describe who this person is, you guys are all going to be going to be like, well, I've heard that voice before. This is a guy named Rabshakeh, who was Sennacherib's commander at arms. Rabshakeh went to Hezekiah and he went to all of the people of Israel and he said, your God will not deliver you. What is coming against you is too powerful for you and your God will not deliver you. Anybody ever heard that one before? It's the spirit of Rabshakeh. And Hezekiah would not capitulate. He's like, I'm not giving in. He took the letter. They sent a letter and they threatened him. And he said, your God is not going to deliver you. Sennacherib has laid waste to all of the city. All of the gods of the people has failed and Yahweh will fail. Well, there's the mistake. (laughs) Same thing Pharaoh did. Who is Yahweh that I should submit to him? Jesus is like, who is Yahweh? Are you seriously asking me who I am? (laughs) You're seriously boasting against me? And Sennacherib boasted against the Lord. And the Bible says that he, Hezekiah went into the temple of the Lord and laid the letter out before the Lord. And he began to pray. And what's powerful about this is that Isaiah the prophet was the prophet in Jerusalem. So was Jeremiah. But Isaiah was prophesying during this time. And Isaiah had been prophesying, don't fear. The Lord's going to heal you. Don't fear. The Lord's going to deliver you. And all the people were like, we're going to die. It's over. And the prophet was speaking, but no one was listening. And so he laid, the, he laid the letter before the Lord. And this is powerful. And he began to pray. And I'm going to read you just a part of this prayer. And as he began to pray, I was telling my wife, I said, Hezekiah wasn't even finished with the prayer. And Isaiah began to prophesy in the temple. As Hezekiah was praying, the word of the Lord was coming in the earth. Is that crazy? And the Lord says, I will break this Assyrian like a stick. He has overstepped his bounds. I gave him that rod. He is a rod of discipline that I'm using against these people who've turned against me. But he's gone too far. And this guy thinks he's bigger than me. And he says, I'm going to snap him over my knee. That's what he said. That's exactly what happened. Hezekiah began to pray. And he says, we have no power against what's coming against us. Anybody feel that way? No? Nobody? Well, let let me testify. Oftentimes in my life, I feel as if I have no power against what is coming against me. Do you feel that way? Ever? You feel completely powerless. And here's Hezekiah laying it out before the Lord, going in intercession. And he said, nor do I know what to do. Oftentimes, in my life, I feel overwhelmed by what is coming against me. So I'm testifying, and I don't know what to do. Do you feel that way? Things come against you. It's exactly what he's dealing with. And he said, but our eyes are on you. I cannot control what's going on here. I cannot control what's coming against me. And I am completely without a clue as to how to move forward. But my eyes are on you. And he didn't even get it out. And Isaiah starts prophesying. <laughs> I believe when you look to the Lord and you are going to be honest and you're going to lay your needs out before him. See, Hezekiah had to present himself to the Lord. He tried to buy off these people and he couldn't buy them off because gold is not his deliverer. Neither is gold yours. Some trust in chariots, but we will trust what? In the name of the Lord, our God. We lose when we stand, we fall through the name of Jesus. We lose when we stand, we fall to the word of God, period. If we we fall, we're going down in faith. That's all I got to say. 
as the water comes up over my head, but the Lord says, bloop, 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 bloop. To my own master I stand, to my own master I fall, but yea, I will stand, for he is able to make me stand. Jesus will never fail. And he came through. Thousands of, his, of the Assyrian army was destroyed in that battle. Thousands. They fought themselves. There's a plague that happened among them, and there was also a calamity among themselves. God turned confusion in the camp of the enemy. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He turned it against themselves, and, they, and many of them died of a plague. The Assyrian army was never able to recover from that battle, from that attempt. And from there on, you almost see Assyria no more in the Bible. Babylonians came into power. God's like, oh yeah, you won't, you're not going to exist. In about 60 years, you're going to be gone. And that's about it. It's about what happened. And it's interesting that uh, they found a, a, a stele, like a carved stone, and it was Sennacherib's stone. And he, gives, he leaves a list of all of his accomplishments. So this brother, is 90, he won like 99 times, and he lost once. And do you know where he lost? Jerusalem. Do you know who he lost to? The people of faith. That's who he lost to. He didn't lose to the people of fear. He lost to the people of faith. Interesting. Don't know what to do? Feel like it's overwhelming? Put your eyes on the Lord. And as you put your eyes on the Lord, it'll be interesting what he begins to draw out of you. Begin to pray. Begin to ask me. Begin to extend faith. Begin to groan. Just start groaning. Oh, God. Yeah, okay, we're going somewhere. We got, we're turning it. We're turning it. <laughs> so Jesus is like, just like, just give me something, man. You got anything? Kevin, what do you got? What do you got? I got a stick. Okay, we'll use that. What do you got? I got, here's, look how he delivers people. He delivers Israel with a stick, a staff. He parts the sea with a stick. What do you got, Moses? Oh, not much, man. I got this stick here. He's like, I'll use it. What do you got? Well, we got, you know, some loaves and fishes. Okay, I'll use it. <laughs> With Gideon, what did he use? A pot and a stick. Lamp and a stick. What do we got? Well, you know, we got a lot of oil lamps here. And, uh, well, we are shepherds. So we got a lot of shepherd staffs here. And Jesus says, okay, I'll use that. I'll use that. What do you got? Offer him something. You got a groan? Give him a groan. He just needs something. That's right. So we put the so the, we hide the word of God in our hearts. So this is the next thing. So right, I'm going to move move quick. So the third thing you do. So we, we put our eyes on Jesus. The third thing you do is you fill your heart with truth. David said, "I've hidden my your word in my heart that I might sin against you." That word sin is go off the mark. I've hidden the word in my heart so that I won't go off the mark of what you're telling me to do. The word of God is very important in the life of the believer. I don't know if I can get a witness in this room. Can I get a witness? The word of God is very important. Very important. The word is a seed. When you put the word in your heart, it's a seed. It begins to bear fruit inside of you. It begins to affect your conscious mind. It begins to affect your subconscious mind. Why? Because the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides soul from spirit bone from marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So when you hide the word of God in you, it begins to come over your conscience and it begins to show you what's faith and what's fear. It begins to show you what's spirit, what's soul. It begins to show you what's life-giving, which is marrow, and what's dead, bone. The marrow of the bone is what's alive. The bone's not alive. The marrow is what is alive. That's what he's saying. It shows you what's living and what's dead. It does it by nature. The word of God has a power all of its own when it's sown into your life. It's amazing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You start reading the Bible. You don't know why. It just starts doing something to you. 
You know, it starts affecting you. Verses start coming to your mind. And you don't even know why. You're like, I don't know what to do. Boom, a verse comes to your mind. You're, oh, well, well yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. The word is a weapon. It's a double-edged sword. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he say? It is what? It is written, right? It is written. Man does not live by bread alone. So it's a weapon. The word is a tool. Acts 20, 20, Acts 20, verse 32. So now, my brothers and sisters, I commend you to what? The word of God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to bestow upon you an inheritance among those who are set apart or sanctified. It's the word logos. I commend you to the written word of God that is empowered with his grace. So here we're going to look at Greek. This this language that's being spoken here in the Greek. I commend you to the logos that is empowered by spiritual power moving in love. The word of God means nothing without the grace of God upon it. It's just letters on a page. But when you read the word of God in the spirit, or you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in the word or read it with you, the word of God comes alive. I give you the logos, which is merely the written word. It's not, he's not using the word rhema. He's using the word logos. I commit you to the logos of God's grace. So you can't have logos without charismata, which is the word grace, spiritual power moving in love. You cannot have the logos unless the Holy Spirit is empowering it and moving in love. You get that? I commit you to the logos, which is able. You know what this word able means? Dinamos. It's the same word for the Holy Spirit, dunamos. So when God says, I am able to build you up, what is he saying? It is the Holy Spirit within you that will build you up. It is the dynamo power of God within you that will build you up. It's not some external work that he's doing. So the Logos, empowered with the Spirit of grace, and then the Holy Spirit, dynamo, generating power within you, is how he builds you up. And he's able to give you, and he builds you up into a house. Isn't that interesting? Now watch this. I love this. This, this definitely ministers to me. I'm going to see if I can pronounce this. Oikos, I know that word. Oikos domasai. Say that with me. Oikos domasai. Know what it means? A house of influence. He's able to build you. The word domicile is build. The word oikos is center of influence. So God, what is he doing in our lives? The logos in our lives empowered. So we have the logos empowered by spiritual power moving in love. And the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit working within us is trying to do what? What is this accomplishing? What is, he, what is this trying to do? It's trying to build you into a house of influence. Anybody want that? I don't know. I don't even understand fully what that means, but I want that. Somebody give me a house of influence. So if you realize God is trying to build you into a house of influence, he's trying to build you into something substantial. And it happens through the logos, the grace, the empowering word of God, the dynamo power of God moving within you all to accomplish this level of influence that God wants to put in your life. When you understand it that way, that harmonizes with so many scriptures. It just puts the gospel into it. Just when you get it like this, it's just aligns everything so perfectly. The written word enables you by spiritual power through the inward working to be built into a house of influence. Happy day. Number four, see everything from an eternal perspective. You don't want to get off track. How do you not get off track? Begin to see this world as passing away because it is. It is. This world is passing away. This is the only world we ever know. But the Bible says that there's another world. There's a world beyond this world. Jesus says, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. It's the word mansions. 
In my father's house, there are many realms of access. In my father's house, in my father's world, there's many places. If this was not so, I would have told you. (laughs) Say, there's no life after this one. Who told you that? Jesus isn't telling you that. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That's what the Bible says. You need to understand that everything you do in this life will matter eternally. Yeah. We go before the Bema seat of Christ, which is the seat of reward. The unbeliever goes before the white throne of judgment. So the Christian goes before a throne, but we don't go before the throne of judgment. We go before the throne of reward. There's two thrones in the book of Revelation. There's the white throne of judgment. We're all the, 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 the dead, small and great will stand before the Lord. Hell and the hell, hell will give up its or hell and the grave will give up its dead. And those who have died without Christ will stand before the white throne of judgment and the books will be open. And whosoever's books not word name is not found written in the book of life will be what thrown into the lake of fire. The believer never sees this throne. We don't go before a white throne. We go before a bema throne. It's called the rainbow throne. It's the laurel seat. It's the seat of reward. It's where they put a wreath on your head, right? Flowers in your hair, right? <laughs> so I always wanted to be a hippie. Wish granted. <laughs> Romeo, like, yeah, check it out. You know, but it's the seat of reward. We go before a bema seat, and God will look at your life and not judge you based upon your personhood. Your judgment or your, the decree over your life is what did you do with and for Jesus. That's, the, that's what he's going to look at. So you got a verse? i got many of them, but this is one that's extremely clear. You cannot build your life upon any other foundation than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Right? So rains will fall, floods will come. If you're not built on Jesus, it's, just, it's over. Right? But we, we are built upon Christ. Now, if we're built upon Christ, if you build upon any other foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, each one's work will become clear in that day. What day? The day of judgment. There is a day, a period of time where God will judge the living and the dead. He will judge the believer, all of us. We all stand before the Lord. All of us will stand before the Lord. What are you going to do when you stand before Jesus and you give an account for your life? What do you want to say? I I have determined I will not come before this king empty-handed. I will not. I will not stand in shame before the Lord of glory and have nothing in my hands. I will not. I refuse. What will your testimony be? You're going to go before the Lord, small and great, and you will present your life to him. Your, your life and your works and your service unto him and your, what you've given, money, time, talent, treasure, anything that you've given on his behalf will be what you offer him. The angels will herald you when you come in the procession. Here comes Alex, servant of God, man who reached many man who sacrificed for many, a faithful and true son, served God and sacrificed. The angels will herald from the youth tops when you're walking in the procession. What is done in secret will be heralded openly. There are going to be many Christians. Here comes Tim Jones. All right. Here comes Sally May. Okay. It's going to be a lot of Christians where there'll be no heralding over their life. None. Didn't say they're not saved. How do you know? Because it says it right here. That day will declare the deeds of all. And it will be revealed by fire. You're going to be tested by fire. 
We'll test each one's works and see where it was built upon. Was it built upon Christ or was it built upon self? Was it built upon Christ or was it built upon personal needs and desires and dreams and all other things that relate only to you? Was it for Jesus? Was it centered in Christ? Was it in Theos or was it in you? If anyone's work which he has built endures, so the testing of the fire will happen, you're going to get a reward. So whatever you did for Jesus will be rewarded. But if, you, if the work does not endure, endure, that person will suffer loss. But they themselves will be saved, but by fire. In other words, you're going to come into the kingdom with your butt burning a little bit. Woo! I made it! I made it! Yep! <laughs> this life is passing away, man. This life's passing away. John 1. 1 John, chapter 2. John's like, he's an old man. They said when John Dace, he was, they, they was on Patmos, but then they gave him a reprieve. And so the final days of John's life was spent ministering, and they believed the church of Ephesus. And so the legend, this isn't doctrine, this isn't Bible, this is just church history. They believed they had to carry old John up. <laughs> Can you imagine? John's like this 90-year-old guy. Bring up Pastor John. So they'd be carrying him up there. Little children. Love one another. Grump off the stage. But he would write things like this. And this is him at the end of his life. He said, this world is passing away. And all of the self-centered desires with it. But the one, who, the one who does the work of God or does the will of God will abide forever. This world's passing, man. This world's passing. Don't drink the Kool-Aid and believe this is all there is. There's no such thing as that. Don't drink the Kool-Aid and think that you're, everybody's going to be rewarded equally in heaven. They will not. You'll all get salvation. You'll all be provided for. You're all going to have a happy day. But there will be positions of influence. There will be positions of status. There will be positions of servitude that will be granted to those who have demonstrated faith in this life. It's just the fact. What's it look like? I don't know. But if I, I want to find out. I definitely don't want to be at the back of the line. I'm telling you that. You know, I'm Caleb. Give me the mountain. <laughs> I was faithful, God, with everything I had. I want the mountain. Well, we don't want to ask Jesus for that. Read your Bible. Caleb asked for the mountain because it was promised to him. He didn't blink. He, actually, I believe the story is he pushed everybody out of the way. What? They're giving out rewards? Wait a second. God promised me this 40 years ago. All you latecomers, get out of the way. Where's my mountain? Read it. The world is passing away, and whoever does the will of God will abide forever. God's will is that you come to know him. God's will is that you give your life to him. And I just want to give an opportunity for anybody watching that has never given their life to Jesus. If you believe in your mind, but it's not in your heart, you're not converted. You say, well, how can I know that I can be saved? How can I know that I can be born again? How can I know, and how can I be born again, Gavin? How do I do it? I, I get it with my head, but most people don't even get it with their head. Because your mind, it doesn't make any sense to you. When Jesus came born of a virgin, lived sinlessly for 30 years, was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, that makes no sense to your mind. And that if you believe in that, that you'll be forgiven. Makes no sense. The Bible says the gospel to the intellectual mind is foolishness. It makes no sense. That's why it tells you not to believe with your mind. You have to believe with your heart. You can believe in your heart on many things that your mind, it makes no sense to. And so God is calling for you to put faith in him. God is calling for you to believe in him. He says, I stand at the door and knock. That door is your heart. And if you will open the door, he said he will come in. So we open our hearts and let Jesus come in. We let him do what he has promised to do. 
And he will do what he has promised to do is if we will do what he has asked us to do. And what is that? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and that he has risen from the dead. The Bible says you'll be saved. How does that happen? It happens with a prayer. We're going to pray here together. And if you're watching this by live stream, you're watching this at some date in the future. I want you to know that you can give your life to Christ right here and today. And you can be sure that you're born again and you're saved. So we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Let's say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you came, you died, and you rose again for me. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive is mine. In Jesus' name. Man, if you prayed that, we're so grateful. Hit us up, message us, whatever, contact, hit it up in the thread, all that good stuff. We bless you. You guys can clap. Come on, you guys can clap. It's what the angels are doing. When you give your life to Jesus, the angels start partying. So Sunday is almost always a party day. The angels are oons, 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 oons. It's for the glory of Jesus. And so we bless you. We're going to end the stream right here. I just want to give you guys one more blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in peace in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.